0: Welcome to Now I See, a podcast where people of vision share eye-opening experiences that help them and can help all of us shift focus, gain perspective, and see ourselves, our world, and our place in it in a whole new way. I'm your host, Kit McCarty, and today's special guest is Linda Whitman, and we are so glad to have her here today. Linda, I see you as a passionate, energetic, do-or-die kind of gal. When you see a problem, you run to it with help and hope and healing. Those things encourage and inspire me. How do you see yourself?
1: Well, good evening, and thank you for allowing me to join your program and introduce myself and the things that I do. I do see myself as a woman of faith who has many, many years of experiences in the world of education and administration, asking God, is this the place you need me to be? I've had unique experiences, different kinds of schools and unusual circumstances in those schools. And I always said, Lord moves me when he's ready to move me. If he wants me in this building, then this is where I am. The door's close, He'll send me where he wants to send me. So after 36 years as an educator, high school, middle school, and elementary school, I retired. I had, you know, free time on my hands and decided we're just going to take life easy, I became a CASA volunteer for Dallas County, decided that I can do more for kids and parents not actually being their campus principal than I ever thought I could be. And so I decided, how do I describe myself? I decided myself to not be sitting at home, uh, not lunching with the ladies, but figuring out a new way to help kids and families with their school.
0: And you have done that brilliantly. I'm so excited for this new venture that your life has turned. So how, um, what was the need that you saw that drove you to make these decisions?
1: As a campus principal, I had a very special needs group of kids in my building. And one of my kids was in foster care and had a CASA advocate out of Collin County. And she stirred up a lot of problems and a lot of trouble between the teacher and me and the family. We had a meeting with 20 people in the room, a judge on the other end of the phone, and I was just serving coffee because it was way over my pay grade of what they were fighting about for this kid. And I made a comment to somebody, well, if that's what an advocate does. I can do a whole lot better than that. So I had to put my where my mouth was and own it. I didn't know what an advocate was. I didn't know about CASA and I'd been an educator for 35 years at that point. So I ventured into it, spent a year and a half with that until Anderson, my very, very special needs grandson was born. And I began to understand that there are a lot of kids with special needs in schools and there's no one to be their voice or the ones who are their voice don't use it or don't use it well, or don't even know how to ask for help and schools being not a perfect entity, nothing is. They make mistakes, they forget things. I have a student in high school, excuse me, middle school down in Houston. They forgot him for an entire 20 weeks that he was supposed to have dyslexia therapy five days a week for 45 minutes. And this is the end of March and they still don't have a compensation plan for us. So the parents filled out paperwork to the Office of Civil Rights to complain. How do you overlook a seventh grade student, not having dyslexia therapy, but it happens. You own it. You own up to it. They didn't. Now it's a fight. Now they're going to have to own up to it and pay for it. So I started out as an advocate with kids with trouble with dyslexia. That is one of the most messed up issues in Texas right now. So because I saw shortcomings in the system, I decided I needed to step out and see what I could do to help be a better voice, definitely a louder voice from time to time and get the kids the help they need. Most of the time the schools just don't know they're making mistakes and they're real cooperative. But there are times when schools are oppositional to parents what they're asking for. And they bring me in to help mediate and serve as a liaison and fight for their kids and be their kids voice.
0: That is an amazing journey. And Linda, the problem is so big. How did you know where to start? How were you able to get your arms around it in order to begin to be effective?
1: My bonus grandson suffers from the condition of dyslexia. And when he was a first grader in his school, his mommy reached out to me that she was just really at her wits end, didn't know what to do. And I go, well, I do. We have this thing called a dyslexia handbook in Texas. It's the law. Would you like some help? And I started going with her to her meetings. And I just started calling myself an educational consultant and family advocate and never told them I was Nana. (laughs) They needed to see me as as an administrative veteran. And I let them know that many, many years ago, Texas Education Agency had teams that would go visit schools and see if they were being compliant with the rules and laws. And the one they gave me was dyslexia. I'm a science teacher. But here I was evaluating school compliances with dyslexia. So it started with my grandson, my bonus grandson at that time, six years ago, and then her friend and then her friend and then these Facebook groups and then that friend. And then before you know it, it's, it's evolved to word of mouth of you need to get in touch with Linda or parents will talk or I'll respond to a Facebook group about dyslexia and they'll reach back out to me, say, Linda, I need your help. So that's how I got started, was actually helping my own family and their best friends. And it's expanded. And I know this is where God has placed me after all those years as a principal and all those years as a a director in curriculum, secondary level. I'm in these meetings with the elementary folks. I, I paid attention. Just somehow or another, it stuck with me. Why on heaven's earth would I be working with dyslexia? I wasn't a reading specialist, but I have quickly grown into knowing the rules, the laws, and the expectations of what a dyslexic child is due to have. And Texas got in trouble in 2018 with the federal government because we're doing it wrong and we're violating laws. And We're now under a corrective action from the federal government, from OSEP, and all I have to do is pick up this little handbook that says Texas Dyslexia Handbook and say to the schools, are you aware of the rules and laws in here? Some do, some don't. So starting with my own grandkids and more and more people reaching out, and like I said, I know this is where God has placed me. There are days I want to quit and walk away from it. Because I begin to own those kids problems and those families problems like I've raised my kids. I've had enough stress. (laughs) (laughs) This is just child's not even mine and I'm grieving for them. But God shores me up, puts me right back out there.
0: I love it. And you're as effective now as you ever were, which is so encouraging and inspiring to people who are in their retirement and they're wondering, is life over for me? So uh, some people may be confused a little bit about dyslexia. So can you kind of give us a brief overview of that, of what the nature of that particular disorder is? And then how significant is it numbers wise?
1: Well, we've been chasing this issue around for many years. In fact, the Scottish Rite Hospital has a center, the Luke Waits uh, Center for Dyslexia, and they're somewhat of the the forerunners and leaders here in Texas with giving specific curriculum for kids with reading disorders. Dyslexia is the most common, and it basically means they have difficulty hearing sounds for the auditory processing center. Their ears are fine, but the part of the brain that distinguishes sounds and turns those sounds into the words we write so, and read. So when they come across a new word, they don't know how to say the word, the old-fashioned word attack skills. So they have to be evaluated with formal testing. And, and they have to meet the criteria. Um, spelling is a deficit. And being able to sound out words and being able to change cat to at, you take off the C. Something as simple as that. And we can find dyslexic readers and dyslexic learners as early as ages two, three, and four. So we can get a head start on giving the right kind of reading instruction. What happens is sometimes schools, and this is what we got in trouble for in Texas, was say, we're going to wait until second grade. Texas got in trouble for telling us, you can't have more than 8.5% of your population identified as special ed. So we, we lived under a, a cap. Federal government said, we never told y'all that. So dyslexia is the most common form. I'd say it affects 20, 25% of a population. It's not that they reverse letters or see words in reverse. They see a new word like elephant. They don't know how to say it or they don't know how to spell it. And it affects how much they can read to learn, to learn from their reading and to read for enjoyment. So schools have strict laws on how to evaluate for that. And when we find that, how we teach for that. And there's no excuse for families to be told, oh, we'll wait, wait till they get a little older. And that's what's been happening for several years. And we're just now coming out from under that dilemma and kids are not being found out until fifth grade and they're struggling, they're failing, they're retained, they're, we're having to make up for lost time because Texas was wrong and how we did things.
0: Well, this is a huge problem because if a child can't read, then they can't do worded math problems. They don't understand science or social studies or, and when they suffer in those areas, then they also lack self-confidence to try other things. And it affects so much, not just their ability to learn, but the way they see themselves and their world and their place in it. And so I love that you are being an advocate for these students, these struggling students, and also for the teachers that want to help them. So uh, you were telling me earlier about legislation that you are working on now that is changing the way schools are treating these special needs students would you like to talk some more about that
1: there's a group in Highland Park where I've had the opportunity to serve as an advocate for children in this district and this group is called the kitchen Co- the kitchen table Just a group of parents who've worked together in the last six eight months uh, I've been an advocate for several of the students and several of the children in this group of individuals has, put together uh, a, two bills to get the laws changed in Texas. We're supposed to do it anyway, but they have been coordinating their efforts and working with various senators and representatives to get these bills. They've gone through the house, they have sponsorships. They are now uh, in the house. It's now, these bills are in the Public Education Committee and the Senate, They're, we're adding more sponsors every day, co-sponsors to the bill. We have to change the way we identify and serve the kids with dyslexia, uh, and we have to do that. We're ordered to do that from OSEP to make changes. It's law that has to be changed, and that requires legislators to change those laws. So I haven't written these bills, but I've been involved in, I've done some reading with it, given some opinions about it, but it's this wonderful group of individuals from Highland Park ISD, Highland Park Community, Park Cities, that drafted it. They've worked with one of the representatives there. He is now on the Ways and Means Committee, so he wasn't available on the Public Education Committee, and so we were scrambling to get senators and representatives to sponsor these bills, where we put out the word and we've asked families and people to sign the petition in support of them. Uh, It deals with the fact that the federal government says we should consider dyslexia a form of a learning disability as of a special education arena, and Texas is a state that says, oh, we don't have to do it that way. Well, yes, we are. So there's battles and conflicts, there's rules and laws, there's changes that have to come, and schools are going to follow that dyslexia handbook, and if it says we can evaluate them this way, or we can go this way, they're doing that. And Texas needs to make one path. So it's been eye-opening, it's been rewarding. It's been an amazing journey for me to be asked for my opinion and my insight. I've participated, like I said, with families who have filed complaints with the education agency about their schools, that they're failing to do things. And the education agency has stepped up and said, yes, your school has been at fault and they're making changes. So it's been it's been really interesting to say the least to work with a grassroots group of individuals who are on the forefront of changing laws with regards to how we deal with our children with dyslexia.
0: That is exciting work. Can you share with us some success stories that you've had along the way?
1: I had a meeting this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. And and like I said I, I know God has me here because we the children win in the sense that we go to the school and we say, we need these things. And the school says, no, you don't. And we come back and say, yes, we do. And this is why we do. And the school goes, okay, yes, ma'am, we'll take care of it. So I had a little kid this afternoon, he's in middle school in Mansfield. He's struggling with just now being identified as dyslexic. He's been struggling, he got the ADD because those go hand in hand and he doesn't write well, he doesn't spell well, and he's never passed the star test. So we visited for a little while this afternoon, and one of the greatest things for me is when the kids talked to me, and he said, Mom, she gets me. I'm good now. I mean, that just warms your little heartstrings in there. When you have a kid, it's not mine. He's not in my school, and he says, she gets me. So when I go to school, we're going to have a meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning. When I go to their school, and I say, this is what this kid needs. If you're not listening to him, then listen to me. I'm his voice. So, I've had the pleasure of seeing kids. I've got a kid in Kiddo in Coppell. They completely messed up a year ago. That campus owes 1,000 minutes of dyslexia therapy. They have to come back and give it to her. A year and a half, this child has been without extra help. This child in Houston, 20 weeks of his therapy that he didn't get, that's 3,600 minutes they have to give him. I had a student in Highland Park. One year's worth of compensatory education. Those are wins for the kids. And then when they tell their mom, I can read that street sign now, or I can read that billboard, or they get to ring the bell, like, you know, the cancer therapy patient, they ring the bell with the last chemo. I have a little kid in Mansfield. He rings the bell because he grew so many levels in his reading. That's what it's about. I mean, that's, they, they bring tears to my eyes because that's a win for that kid. Now, I still advocate for Anderson. We still, we had a bad pre-K teacher last year with a very successful kindergarten teacher this year. So I am, what do I say? There's, there's wins every day. There, there's, there's more wins for these students than there are losses right now.
0: And not just for the students, but for their families, for the school as they they graduate, accomplished students. Students who are still learning and excited about learning and excited about the contributions they can make in the world. Well, you're- Oh, go ahead.
1: I never ever imagined, because I didn't know this role in life existed. I never imagined this. I mean, it was great to see my fourth graders graduate or eighth graders graduate. That was wonderful. But this is a case by case. And I've probably had about 125 kids in the last six years. And it all started with my bonus grandson. And I tell him, God made you, God gave you to me and gave me to you. And look what we've done because of that. Because of, you know, the connectivity, you know, it's a God thing.
0: Well, and it's a win for you too, because I think you've discovered something interesting about yourself. How have you changed through this process? How have you grown and changed?
1: I feel like I've always had a degree of compassion for people and in the kids. I think that's why I was an educator and an administrator and sometimes did things differently than the rule book areas where we could bend it. I did because this is what this child needed. Um, I think I, I see with a different set of eyes that Anderson may have physical disabilities. God bless him. He has five major syndromes in his body. Major each one devastating of their own. And when we found that out the night he was born, somebody had to be strong for my daughter. And she said, I'm not strong enough for this. And I said, well, I am, cause God made me a tough old battle ax. Okay, here, we're gonna, we're gonna deal with this. So I look at the fact that he has physical needs, but he can learn. He's a learner, he can read, he can write, he can communicate. He taught himself the Russian alphabet for Pete's sake at five and he can read it and he can write it and he can shape it out of Play-Doh with one hand. These families have children who will always struggle because they are struggling to learn. They're struggling to communicate and society is hard enough as it is. I have had several of my little clients hospitalized with anxiety and depression, suicide watch in the last year, And I think that might give me a little bit more confidence on how to help Anderson. He's already asked, when do I get to walk? You know, that's a tough question. When a kid says, when do I get to walk? When will I stand up? And I'm looking at children that say, when will I ever get to read? When will I ever get a good grade on my report card? When will I be chosen the Hillwood Husky of the Week? because I'm so ADAD, I can't sit down. So I can't really say that I've changed that much because I've always been a fighter. I've always fought for the kids, but I see their struggles and I see what Anderson's struggles are. And if we don't, if it's teachers, teachers are great. It's not, that, it's not that I have teachers who don't want to help the kids. There might be one or two that are set in their ways My teachers that I meet in this journey, they really want to help the kids. It's all the other people in their way. It's like, get out of the way and let these teachers have these kids, let them do. Except for every once in a while you get one like we had last year that's not very kind and not very agreeable to to helping kids. So how have I changed? I've changed that I'm very grateful, very grateful that Anderson can learn. And can communicate and can interact in his environment, which gives him a greater chance of living independently and contributing in, the, in his own way.
0: You have been such a strong advocate for not only Anderson, but for so many. Makes me wonder who is your advocate? Who is your inspiration?
1: Well, I, you know, you know me from church, and, and the church knows that Arch and I have not been married together forever. We're st- we've only been married eight years now together and i would say he is he is definitely the individual that gives me the he's believe he's a believer of words of affirmation that's just one of his love languages but he is supportive of what i do if dinner's not quite ready because my my art meeting lasted 3 hours on friday evening he knows i'm fighting for these kids and they need it and he's got that compassion too he never says no when Anderson stays overnight because it's convenient to me. So Archie is a very strong, solid person in my life. There are people at the church that I have turned to several times last year, especially when we had conflict with the teacher, the night he was born, Bill and Pam Scar came to see us. His own brother had had a heart attack but he came to see Anderson. John and Linda Jenkins, Gail and Glenn Cato, numerous people at the church have prayed for me in person you have and they prayed for me behind the scenes and I have physically felt that spirit of prayer but in the flesh it's arch every day he says go get them knock them dead do what you got to do and that just gives me the courage to stare down 25 people and a couple of lawyers and they ask me to explain why this child should have this or that educational program and God gives me the strength and when I feel some days like okay I got to take a step back this is too overwhelming because it's a fight then I just pull back and regroup and refresh and all by the grace of God I'm able to come back and fight another day
0: Thank you, that's an amazing story. If people wanna get in touch with you or want to um, become an advocate like you or feel like they need an advocate, is there a place where they can contact you for more information or to continue the dialogue?
1: Well, I am on Facebook as Linda Whitman. Okay. I I have not formally launched a little business uh, as of yet, but I am on Facebook and Discovering Dyslexia Texas and Discovering Dyslexia Tarrant County are the Facebook groups that I'm highly involved in and serve as an administrator with. So that's how folks sometimes start asking questions and I start answering them and I say, oh girl, we need to talk. Let's go to private message. I don't ask parents to pay for consulting, for talking. I said, shoot, we can talk at Kroger's and I can have you all set." But if I come to the meeting with you, And I want to be considered a professional advocate. I will have a small fee. It's very small. And I don't charge by the hour. So it's not too hard to find Linda Whitman here in in the Dallas area, I guess. I don't know. But Discovering Dyslexia Texas and Discovering Dyslexia Tarrant County, um, I'm trolling on them all the time. (laughs)
0: Good to know, we'll put that information on in our show notes. So as we close up our show today, is there one thing that you hope our listeners will now see more clearly as a result of our conversation today?
1: For my parents, people who are parents and grandparents, you have a voice, you have rights and you have a voice. And if you're not being heard or you're not sure how to be heard, there are people who will speak with you and for you, not just me as an advocate, but others, other advocates, you don't have to go out and hire attorneys and things. Most of the time, all we have to do is give our parents some information or confidences and they go on to these meetings to fight for their kids' needs without me because I have educated them or I've informed them or just said, you're right, you are correct in what you're asking for. Let's go do it.
0: So you are empowering people to be their own advocates and that's a beautiful gift too. If you enjoyed our show today, please tell your friends. Like and subscribe so you'll receive future notifications when our next shows become available. Visit our website, nis.media, for show notes, bonus content, contact information for our special guests, and access to their products and ours. Or perhaps you'd like to leave a comment, a perspective on our show today, or share an eye-opening experience of your own. We'd love to hear from you. Again, that's nis.media. Special thanks to our technical director, Jim Wilson. Music by Rebecca Salazar. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. I look forward to seeing you again soon.